Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Three Point Threat Podcast. This is Jared Woodcox, your host today. Um, the NBA season is officially over, guys. Um, the finals ended a little too soon for my taste, but here we are um, with no NBA basketball in sight until Summer League, I guess you could say. Uh, but anyway, for point number one today, I'm all once again to be joined by John Kiefer here shortly. And for the first point, John and I are going to talk about those NBA finals, uh, short and in my opinion, disappointing as they were. Uh, then for point two, we're going to continue our player reviews, going to be looking at some forwards today. Uh, we'll look at Joe Ingles, Tabo Cephalosha, and also Jay Crowder um, for our three player reviews. Then last of all for point three, um, obviously one of the biggest stories you know surrounding the Jazz lately has been Donovan Mitchell's recruiting pitch to Paul George. So we're going to give our thoughts on that, on the likelihood of it actually working, of it happening, and then also how we think Paul George would hypothetically fit with the Jazz. So those will be our three points for today. Without further ado, let me welcome John Kiefer to the show and we'll get rolling. Point one. All right, so first and foremost, I want to welcome John Kiefer back to the show. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Jared? Doing good, you know. A little bit disappointed that the NBA season is now officially over, but I'm hanging in there. Ah, it's going to be disappointing. I'm excited. I love the offseason. Well, you know, I, I, I do too. love the draft, love free agency, but kind of these, these nights, you know, without any basketball to watch as we're waiting for the draft, it just gets a little tough. So, But it'll be good. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, in fact, that's exactly what I want to talk about first for, for point one is just kind of real quick recap the NBA Finals. You know, I'm really in the same boat as you that I'm kind of disappointed in how quickly they, they ended. You never want to see a sweep in what you would hope would be the most competitive series um, of the playoffs. But, I mean, just kind of walk me through your impressions, John. What do you think of the Finals? What, what what do you want to get off your chest and talk about with it? Um, it was just really kind of disappointing how – much the Cavaliers no-showed. I thought it would be a little bit more competitive. Um, I think with LeBron James, you just kind of assumed they'd win one game. I, I never envisioned LeBron getting swept in the NBA Finals. Um, I guess at the end, we kind of found out why. Like Maybe that hand issue was a little bit bigger of a deal. I mean, he still put up really impressive numbers, but I, I do remember noticing after game one, it seemed like he wasn't really taking threes anymore. It just seemed like he was not taking jump shots, and I wonder if that's why. Like maybe just comfort-wise, he wasn't able to put the same amount of effort into it. And it, it's disappointing. You you want to see a more competitive series at the very end, and you start thinking like, in the future, is this what it's going to be the next couple of years with the Warriors, or is somebody else going to be able to form a juggernaut where they can compete? But I don't know. It's just not the way I would have liked it. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I mean. Games one and three, you know, had some exciting moments, um, but overall, I th- we all kind of knew what the outcome was going to be, especially once, um, especially once the Cavs got down 3-0. And like I said last time, you know, when the Cavs blew that golden opportunity in game one, I knew that it was going to spell trouble. That just was, you know, the opportunity that game was just something that they couldn't squander, and they did. Um, and so I had actually predicted it to be a sweep from the get-go, and unfortunately I was right. It's not something I'm too proud of because I was hoping it would be more competitive. And all i got to say, John, is I really feel like, I don't know, maybe I'll end up being wrong, but I'm like 99% sure that LeBron James is leaving Cleveland. I just think from his body language and from everything we saw and how that series went down, I think he's out of there. What do you think about that? Uh, I absolutely agree. I just... 
think the writing is on the wall that he's not coming back. And unless unless the Cavs can bring him in before the draft and everything and just say, hey, here's what we're going to do to turn this around. This is our master plan and who we're going to target. But if you look at their roster currently, just the contracts they have, I mean, they can't really do anything in free agency. They don't have the money. Like, they can only do things via trade. Uh, the majority of their best players and their highest paid players, so like Kevin Love, Jared Smith, Tristan Thompson, uh, Kyle Korver, like all these guys are still under contract for the next two, three years. So they can't just let these guys go. Uh, they don't have the money. So it's going to be interesting to see what they could do and what their pitch to LeBron James would be because it would have to be involved. It would have to involve trades, and that involves other teams, which just isn't a sure thing if you're partnering with other teams. So I just I don't think they have the pitch. I don't think they can bring LeBron James in and paint this beautiful picture of how it's going to be better next year because I can't envision any path that makes it better unless this draft pick just became gold. Like they just struck out like Donovan Mitchell with the Jazz and they got the perfect player. Even then, you're not going to know that he's a perfect player until I mean, months down the road. So it's going to be really hard for him to come back. It's going to be a tough decision. He even said that it's going to be harder this time because his kids are a little bit older, too, and they're a little more established in the Cleveland area. But if, if he really is about winning championships and wanting to get a few more rings, I don't see how it happens in Cleveland. Yeah, you know, and to your point about, you know, even if they do hit the, you know, hit a home run with their draft pick, I mean, I don't think LeBron's going to base his entire decision on, like you said, the potential of some young kid that may or may not pan out. And, you know, the other wrench that's in this, and you you touched on it as well, is I think it was Dwayne Wade that um, said uh, just barely that, you know, um, he's going to have to consider things, you know, beyond basketball. He's going to really think about his family and things like that. So to me, that's the only edge, the only advantage that Cleveland has is maybe he decides not to uproot his kids and, and he decides to stay put. But that's that's not a very good advantage to be banking on. You know, we talk yeah, about maybe... That, well, that, that might not even be an advantage for Cleveland, too, because he has two homes in L.A. Like, maybe his kids like L.A. better. I, I would. I'd like L.A. more than Cleveland if I was 14 years old. So, and I don't know, I just think basketball-wise, too, for his son, like, what's his name, Bronny? I can't remember his actual name, but I know he goes by Bronny. Hey, LeBron Jr., I know he's so, really yeah. Basketball. Yeah, like, you see, I see videos on Instagram all the time. Like, it seems like he's really good at basketball, and if he wants to pursue the NBA like his dad did, well, there's, there's more competitive AAU teams and high school teams in L.A., so maybe that's the best situation for his family. We don't know that they want to stay in Cleveland either. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And, you know, I also saw, I think it was an ESPN thing on Twitter where um, they think the Lakers have the best odds of, of adding him this offseason. So that's interesting, too. Obviously, the Lakers in their current state aren't a championship contending team by any stretch of the imagination. Even if you add LeBron to their current core, I would still argue that they're not, you know, anywhere close to being able to beat the Warriors. But if they make enough changes to bring in LeBron and maybe a Paul George, uh, you know, there's rumors of, you know, a Chris Paul, you know, lots of different teaming up things you could do there. Then all of a sudden you get in this conversation of, okay, maybe L.A. is best for his family and maybe they have the means to put together, you know, a super team that's going to challenge the Warriors. I don't know, but it's going to be absolutely thrilling to see what he does. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest pitch for L.A. too is he comes in and he's they have the availability in free agency and also through trade because of the young assets they have to say, hey, like, 
we bring you in and we're going to target Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, whoever it is, and we're going to bring them in as well, and we're going to immediately contend against the Warriors. And on top of that, uh, Magic Johnson is going to be there saying, hey, and I'm also going to mentor you so that you can be a billionaire future team owner and you can expand your brand and your business, which I think is really important to the Brown James as well. And that's just something Cleveland can't offer right now. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. Um, the finals were a little bit disappointing uh, that LeBron's probably gone and just seeing where he ends up is going to be uh, pretty fascinating. But let's move on now. Let's get back more focused on the Jazz. Uh, for point number two, we're going to review some 2017-18 uh, some performances um, with some Jazz forwards. Point two. All right, so the past two shows, um, you know, John and I have looked at Jazz point guards and shooting guards. Uh, today we're going to be looking at, at, at forwards, you know, some kind of small forwards, some kind of stretch forward types. The three players we'll be reviewing today, looking at their 2017-18 seasons, are Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, and Tabo Sefalosha. Um, we'll start off with Joe Ingles, who was the starter at the three spot. And, you know, John, the first thing that really comes to my mind with Joe Ingles, I actually wrote a player review on him for the JNotes.com. And the first thing that comes to my mind with him is that he earned every penny of his contract this past year. Some people were kind of skeptical of the amount he was getting paid. But I think he was just steady as we could have hoped for, had a great season. And I really think he proved anyone that doubted him wrong. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, uh, so I wrote down some notes on each player. And the first thing I wrote next to Joe Ingles was absolutely worth the money. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that was the thing. When they first signed him, it was like, oh, like the only reason the Jazz gave him that contract was Gordon Hayward. It was just to entice Hayward to like, hey, we signed your best friend, like stay with us. Um, I don't think that was the case. I think Joe Ingles earned that salary, and he proved this year that he was worth that type of contract. And it's also a team-friendly contract because it's descending each year. Every year it comes down about $1.2 million. Yeah. So by the second and third year, the Jazz are going to look great. Um, but I mean, really, he, he's not a star. Like, I was going to say he became a star. Like, he's not a star, but I think it's obvious that he's a starter on almost any NBA team you put him on. Maybe not the Warriors. He's a starter in the NBA. It's a really, really awesome story for Joe Ingles to make it this far into the NBA. Yeah, no doubt whatsoever. And I mean, he was consistent from three once again this year, 44%. Uh, from behind the arc, uh, which was fourth best among those with enough shots to qualify. Um, he also upped his scoring to 11 points per game. And I think most Jazz fans would agree that their biggest frustration with Ingles this past year was that he didn't shoot enough. I mean, I think that there were times where he was a little hesitant to pull the trigger. And he's the guy on the team who pretty much should have the ultimate green light, that he should always be you know, allowed to shoot and he should look for his shot because he's just been so accurate that it'd be great to see him continue to shoot. Um, the one thing I'll say about him is that it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, he's 30 years old, and I hope that he can defeat Father Time and throughout the rest of this contract still be as competitive, still be as good defensively and shooting as he has been the past two years. Yeah, I think that's interesting. He's a little older, but he also has less mileage just because he didn't start until that's he was true. Um, 27 was his first year. So you never know. Like, I don't know how much that plays into it. Like, I don't know if it's miles, games played, or just age that affects the player. Um, but, I mean, he looked great last year at 30. Um, I mean, you already touched on it. Just his shooting is incredible. He, I, I saw a thing about him that his career three-point shooting percentage is, like, 14th best of all time. Wow. Um, his career, he's at, like, 41%, 42%, which is just an incredible number. 
especially with the volume he's putting up, just each year he's shooting more and more. Um, and you said it too, like he was hesitant sometimes, like we want him to shoot more. So they're still there, like there's still room for growth. But 63% of the shots were from three and 42% were from non-corner threes. So he gives us that above the break three-point shooter that we really need. Uh, but when he did shoot corner threes, he was 50%. I mean, that's incredible. One out of every two corner threes, you can count on it going in. Uh, most underrated part of his game, in my mind, is his passing, though. Man, he's a good passer. And the Jazz needed a creator, and he completely stepped into that bill. Anytime Ricky Rubio was out of the game, he was the de facto point guard from our small forward position, and he really excelled at that. Really just underrated ability to get into the lane and either finish for himself or kick it out to somebody for a wide open threes. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes it was almost encouraging to see him run the point because he did so well. So that's, I agree, that's definitely an underrated aspect of his game. Well, I just, I looked up some numbers about his passing and just some things that really impressed me. So one, like he averaged 4.8 assists per game, so almost five per game, which is really good for a non-point guard. Not a lot of small forwards were putting up five assists per game. Um, but he had a 22.3% assist percentage, which the only small forward ahead of that was LeBron James. And his assist to usage rate, which is a number from cleaningtheglass.com, uh, which is Ben Falk, um, his website, it tracks how often did a player get an assist versus how often they had the ball. And his assist usage rate number was 1.28, which once again was only behind LeBron James. So in terms of passing for his position, he's the second-best passer for a small forward in the entire NBA. That's awesome. Um, looking at also Jay Crowder, kind of the next guy we want to talk about, um, I'll let you chime in first, John. Kind of what are your thoughts, what are your, your um, views on Jay Crowder's debut season with the Jazz? I, I'm kind of torn on Jay Crowder because I like, I like Jay Crowder, but there's aspects of his game that really frustrate me. Um, I think the first thing was just his shooting. When he came in, I think a lot of people were looking at him as, oh, yeah, he's this amazing elite 3 and D player, but he's really not as far as his shooting is concerned. He shot, I think, 33% on the year from three, and he actually shot worse when he came to Utah from Cleveland. Yeah. Um, really, he's a streaky shooter. He can shoot. He can get hot, but he's not consistent at the three. Um, the problem is, if you looked a couple of years ago at Boston, um, that last year in Boston, he shot 40% from three, and it was kind of that fool's goal. We were like, oh, like we're going to get that 40% shooter from Boston. Um, and really, in his entire career, he's never shot over 34% from three. So that one year where he shot nearly 40%, that's the outlier, and I don't think that's what we should expect. Um, that being said, he was still a plus on the offensive end. He didn't really detract from what we were trying to do. And defensively, he was great. Our defensive rating with him and with him at the four, our defensive rating was always elite. Whether it was with Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors, we had a below 100 defensive rating either way. So I do think there's really good if you look in the future there, if we let Derek Favors go and he becomes our primary four, I do think there's a path there that we could be really good. Yeah, no, I agree there. I kind of had, some, honestly, like the same notes as you, John, John, on what I wanted to bring up about Jay. 
Um, I'd say obviously he was more comfortable in Utah and he had a more positive impact in Utah. But it is interesting that he did have the worst shooting numbers. Um, obviously, we'd hope to see him closer to that last year in Boston. Um, but for me, the biggest thing we need to see out of Jay um, along that vein is just better decision making and better shot selection. There were times when he was chucking up threes as if he was, you know, this elite 3 and D player. And he needs to rein it in sometimes and really focus on getting to his spots, making his play, playing his style. And what's going to be interesting for me is I think with him having a full offseason, hopefully to be working with the Jazz, to have the full training camp, uh, to be able to kind of get more comfortable with, um, you know, obviously the Jazz style of play. I think that's going to help him a lot. Obviously, coming in midseason is never easy. So I'm just excited to see what kind of improvements he makes as he is now more comfortable with the Jazz and how we can see him be utilized, hopefully more effectively, this upcoming season. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I, I noticed the same thing. There were times during the playoffs where I would just get so frustrated when he would shoot these threes. And I was just like, you're swinging the ball to Joe Ingles. He's a 44% three-point shooter. You're yeah. not. And if you look at it, like his usage rate, for example, was higher than Joe Ingles. Like, you should not have a higher usage rate than Joe Ingles when you're on the floor. You just shouldn't. But I think part of that is he came into the Jazz halfway through the season, more than halfway through the season. That's hard. It's difficult to just join a team to find your role, find your place. And I do think this offseason is going to be really big for him. I also feel like his shooting percentage is going to come up. I don't envision 40% Boston, but I do think when he becomes more comfortable with the offense and is getting better shots because of that, I do think he's going to shoot a better three-point percentage as well. At the end of the day, though, Utah had a net rating of 10 when he played. A plus 10. That's really good. So there were things that were frustrating for me and for you, obviously, with Jay Crowder. But at, at the end of the day, Utah was good when he was on the floor. So he is having, he is having a positive impact. And I only think he's going to get better with the Jazz with an entire offseason to get more familiar with their system. Definitely. And he's on a phenomenal contract, not to mention. That'll be helpful, oh, yeah. helpful yeah. down the road as well. Like $7 million and he still has three years left. Yeah, two or three, if I recall. Yep, uh-huh. Um, moving on from Jay Crowder, um, Tabo Cephalosha, you know, kind of my thoughts on Cephalosha, John, are if a great opportunity presents itself this summer, like if the Jazz needed to clear space for a Paul George or something along those lines, then obviously I, I'd be okay with, with um, letting Cephalosha go. Um, but honestly, as long as there's nothing that rocks the boat, I really hope the Jazz keep Cephalosha. I just felt like he was so important to us early, even though the Jazz struggled early. I felt like he really helped this team stay even keeled. I love his defense. I felt like we really could have used him in the playoffs, especially against Houston to add that extra wing defender. You know, before the injury that, that um, had him go down for the remainder of the season, he was shooting about 38% from three, which is a good mark. And I just feel like he fits the Jazz DNA. You know, he fits our mold of, of playing hard defense, of being focused, of being um, selfless. A lot of things I really like about Tabo Cephalosha. And as I said, unless there's something crazy that comes up this offseason, I hope the Jazz keep him. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and again, like another guy who's on a very team-friendly contract, so it wouldn't really hurt us to keep him. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the thing that surprised me when you brought up Tablo Cephalosha just when we were preparing for this was I honestly, for a minute there, kind of forgot he was on the team. Yeah. Because he wasn't, he wasn't with the team for the final, like, 50 games and over that stretch where we really just, like, went nuts and were one of the best teams in the NBA – uh, so you kind of forget about him, but like you mentioned, 
thinking about him in the playoffs, he would have been great because Paul George was really effective against us, and we could have thrown him at Paul George. Um, just having an extra body to throw at James Harden and Chris Paul to make it more difficult for them, like he really would have been a great player to have in those two series. Um, and he, he's he's a lockdown defender, and that's what we pegged him as when he was coming in. And he he lived up to his billing as a lockdown defender. He only played 20 minutes a game, but had 1.4 steals per game. He was 3.2 steals percentage, which is the 98th percentile of the NBA. Like he just really really good defensive player. Um, you mentioned it. He shot 38 percent from three, which was one of his best three point shooting uh, performances in years. Uh, 46% from the corner, too, which is really good. Um, what amazed me, he had a career high in points at 8.2 points. So, I mean, he's never been a, he's never been a, a high scorer, but he was effective for the Jazz. But I think the big question now, though, is he's coming off his leg injury, and he's already 34 years old. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, I don't know how serious his leg injury is. I don't know if it's something that you can easily recover from. And he can be like right back to the type of player he was, but typically for these older players, an injury like this like it slows you down. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be able to come back and play that same level of defense. So it might be best to use him as a trade chip, where we can tell teams like, hey, like you can if we trade him. I think it's prior to like July first we can trade him and the team can immediately waive him and he won't hit their salary cap. I think that's right, not positive. Uh, but if that's the case, he becomes a really, really high trade option and that's really valuable to teams is we can use him to match salary to get somebody, but then they can immediately trade him or immediately waive him and get his numbers off the book. So that'll be an interesting decision for the Jazz is how do they want to play really Tavo Jonas Drebko and Udo are all on those similar contracts. It's going to be interesting to see if all three of them come back or how many of them come back, because I can see the Jazz using them as trade options. Yeah, no, I agree there. And, yeah, he is on that team option deal, which is which is nice. I'm having a hard time remembering, John. I'm pretty sure Tabo's date is actually different than Drebko and Udo's, um, but I can't remember if his I think is- it's a little yeah, I, that's what I think too. I think his is a little bit earlier. I couldn't recall if it was earlier or later, but that's what I was leaning towards. Um, but the other question I have about Tabo is, you know, obviously he went down with the season-ending injury prior to us trading for Jay Crowder. You know, do the Jazz feel that Jay Crowder checks enough of the boxes um, that, that Cephalosha would check, that they're okay just parting ways with him? Or do you feel like, you know, the Jazz would see that there's still a use for Cephalosha even if we now have Crowder too? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think the other thing, too, is what position do they play? Like, Cephalosha played more of the three, and Crowder played more of the four. So, I mean, theoretically, you could keep them both, but they're both bigger wing players who can defend one through four who aren't great shooters. Do you really need two of that same type of player on the team? Yeah. And my guess is no. Um, and, like, you look at it, Pablo Cephalosha played... 38 games before he got hurt, 38 or 34, or something like that. Um, the Jazz went on that huge win streak without him. So are they going to look at it and say, like, well, like we like him a lot, he's great for the culture in our locker room, but in terms of winning, maybe we don't need him to be successful. Yeah, definitely an interesting question. You know, I do think also that he and Donovan had a nice chemistry, so it'll be interesting to see if that has any effect on everything. Um, but yeah, I, I think Tabo was good for, for the time that we had him. 
but he's another one to watch this summer. It could be interesting to see where he winds up. So, you know, with all that being said, speaking of, you know, maybe he's making some changes or things uh, for the Jazz, uh, for point three, we're going to chat a little bit about Donovan's recruiting, recruiting efforts of Paul George and how that might play in. So let's move on now to point three. Point three. Alrighty, so for our third and final point, obviously I'm sure you guys have seen the many reports out there, including a pair of them on the jnotes.com, that Donovan Mitchell has been pretty active in in wanting to recruit Paul George. He mentioned on a recent uh, Woj pod with Adrian Wojnarowski that he is hoping to talk to Paul George about potentially joining the Jazz. Uh, Let me just say, John, I love the idea. Uh, I think it's awesome that Donovan's willing to do that. Um, but I, I really doubt it's going to happen. I doubt it's going to be successful as much as it would be cool to see. Uh, but I mean, t- get, take me through your thoughts. What do you think about Donovan Mitchell recruiting him? And what do you think about if the Jazz were able to convince him to sign with them? I think it's really cool that we have a young player like this who's going out and trying to get big players. And I, I do think he's the type of player who can attract maybe a bigger name free agent to us. I just don't know if that's Paul George. I don't think he has much of a desire to come to a market like Utah. Um, just because my image of Paul George is that he's the type of player who wants to be in a large market. I think that's why he wanted to get out of Indiana. Um, and he didn't have a choice in the trade. Indiana just wanted to get some value out of him, so they sent him to OKC, which is even a smaller market than Indiana. I just If it's up to him, He's probably going to go to a bigger market, and I don't think the Jazz are going to be the ones to win. Um, I love that Donovan Mitchell is doing it, though. I just think that's great of him. He's taken on this leadership role, this face of the franchise, and now he's trying to use that to get players in. And honestly, I think a lot of players are viewing Utah as a more attractive destination. And I think we're going to start getting, at the very least, meetings, and we're going to be considered for some of these bigger free agents. But I just don't think Paul George is the one. Now, as far as if he would, if he did, I think it would be awesome. I think he's a great fit for the Utah Jazz. I think his style of play, his um, defensive mindset, his ability to score the ball and to to create shots of his own. Um, I mean, he's the perfect player for the Jazz. That's what we need. And he can, he's big enough. He can play the floor. And we need to stretch four, so he would be good for that. Um, I've talked about it in the past. I think. I love Joe Ingles. I love him at the three, but I also sometimes think he's better suited for a six-man role, especially if he gets into his 30s. And Paul George can maybe take over some of those minutes to extend Joe Ingles' career. Um, I mean, you can't complain about getting someone who's a multiple-time all-star. He's scored over 20 points a game, I think, four or five different seasons. He, over the last two seasons, has shot 40% from three. And that's just, no one's going to complain about that. But I also feel like he fits the mold of what the Utah Jazz are trying to build. So if it can happen, I think it would be terrific and a match made in heaven. But the big question is if it can happen. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, I, I will just say I agree with you completely about how cool it is to see Donovan going out recruiting and that he'll obviously be a big asset in our hopes to attract talent um, in the future. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as with Paul George, one of the interesting things I wanted to ask you was hypothetically, if he did decide to sign here, you know, one of the questions would be, you know, what does that mean for Joe Ingles? And I know some have suggested that Paul George slide to be more of a stretch four for us. 
And I think that, you know, he's capable of that. But if you recall, when Larry Bird asked him to do that same thing in Indiana, there was quite a bit of pushback. He was not happy yeah, being he used. didn't like it. No, not at all. And it, honestly, the, the Indiana ended up using uh, C.J. Miles as their stretch four um, in some occasions. It just it did not work for him to play the stretch four. Again, I think that he could. Um, it was more just that he didn't want to. He didn't feel comfortable in it, which is fine. And I think if the Jazz added him, obviously he would take the starting three spot and Joe Ingles would become a sixth man. And the good thing about that is I, I do believe that you know Joe Ingles isn't going to be the kind of guy that has his ego hurt by that. I think he's going to understand what a unique and awesome opportunity it would be to add a guy like Paul George, and he would accept that role as the sixth man, and it would just be an awesome fit for the Jazz as far as, I mean, you said it already, but Paul George just checks so many boxes that are what the Jazz are looking for. Obviously, he's a playmaker. Um, he's a lockdown defender. He's a deep ball threat. He takes a huge scoring load off of Donovan Mitchell. You know, it'd be really hard to defend both Donovan Mitchell and Paul George, and it would be really hard to score against both Donovan Mitchell and Paul George. So just so many ways that it would be so dang intriguing that if he was only thinking from a basketball standpoint, I think he would see a lot of positives in coming to Utah. Yeah, absolutely. I and I do think he might be more willing nowadays to take a role as a stretch forward because he's a little later in his career. And also the way the NBA has gone, if you accept the role to play a stretch forward, you're not taking the pounding that you used to if you were going to be a four. I mean, it used to be that the traditional four was like 6'9", 280. I mean, just like big, bulky guys. Um, but now, like, stretch fours, like, you're probably not taking that much of a pounding. And I think that's part of the reason he didn't want to do it. So I feel like maybe he's more willing to take that role. Uh, what's interesting to me, though, is when he got out of Indiana, the big rumor was he was going to the Lakers. Like, he was going to the Lakers. He had he'd gotten promises from them that he was going to go there, that they were going to target him. I mean, they got the Lakers got fined for tampering yeah. about talking to him too early. Um, it's interesting now, though, that this free agency is coming up, but I don't feel like I'm hearing any buzz about him going to the Lakers unless LeBron James goes there. Uh, so if he's not going to go to the Lakers anymore, like who is he going to go to? Um, I, I think Philadelphia becomes a really appealing option to him. But outside of that, like, Jazz really should be up there on his list. Like If he values winning and not just being in a big market, I do feel like the Jazz should at least get a meeting because – with him, they would win. Like they would compete next year if he was on the team. I, I, I really believe that if he was on the team, I do think they would be able to push the Rockets and the Warriors. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And you know, a few other things that you said that kind of sparked some thoughts I wanted to bring up is. One thing that I would be concerned about, I mean, obviously, if you can get a talent like Paul George, nine times out of ten, you're going to just go jump on that right away. But one thing I'd be concerned about is I would hope that the Jazz were getting the attitude version of Paul George from, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals Pacers runs, the 2013-2014 Pacers um, compared to the one that, that the Pacers had the last year he was there. Obviously, you know that along with the Jazz, I'm also a big Pacers fan. And the last year Paul George was in Indiana, he honestly looked like a different player. And when I say that, you know, he was still very effective on the floor, still a great basketball player, but there was just a different demeanor about him and that he was throwing his teammates under the bus. He was calling them out. He was always, he was visibly frustrated like all the time. Um, he would spend time complaining to the refs and, and rather than getting back on defense. There were just a lot of things that kind of shifted about him that I wasn't happy with. 
and the Jazz would need to make sure that adding him would be also um, good for their chemistry, I guess you could say. Because, I mean, it's great to have talent. Anytime you can, you're going to add talent. But look at the Oklahoma City Thunder this past year. They had a ton of talent. But there are certain times when chemistry is definitely going to outweigh talent. So that's one thing I feel like the Jazz will definitely have to consider, if he was even interested, obviously. That would be a big thing that would, would be a, um, you know, part of it there. The nice thing, though, is that, you know, the assumption is that if they get him, it would be because, you know, he opts out of his player option and he, he signed there as a free agent, meaning he was kind of coming there on his own free will in accord um, versus if he was just traded to Utah, then you'd have even more concerns about what's the attitude going to be, what's his personality going to be, how's that all going to look. So that's one thing I think the Jazz need to weigh in mind. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I like to think that the Jazz have the type of culture that they can take a player like that and get him to like kind of match their culture and be willing to not throw players under the bus and be a good teammate. Um, I think the big thing with Paul George, though, is like even if he was willing to come here, how did the Jazz make it happen salary-wise? Because right now he's making about $20 million a year, but if he opts out, the new the way the new like contracts are set up and the, the cap room is set up, he would likely be getting a max contract, which is going to put him on average around 28 to 30 million a year. So the Jazz would have to do a lot to get to that number. For sure. Um, I mean, for one, like Derek Favors isn't coming back. Dante Exum probably isn't coming back. Yep. All the, all the like two-year contracts that we signed last year that we just talked about, the like Cephalosha, um, Efe Udo, and Jonas Drebko, they're all getting declined. Uh, Alec Burks maybe gets traded. I mean, it, it becomes a question of like, how much do we have to get rid of to get this one player, and does that make it worth it? Yeah. I mean, we talked about it with Ron James, where is it worth it bringing in him, bringing him in if the cupboards are bare afterwards? So I, I do think that a lineup of Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles. And let's see, Paul George. Who do we have? Ricky we have Rudy Gobert at the center. Let's put Paul George at the four. Joe Ingles at the three. Donovan Mitchell at the two. Ricky Rubio at the point. That sounds mighty attractive to me. And then who do you still have on the bench? I guess Jay Crowder would still be with us. You probably have to get a couple other like smaller free agents just to make it work. But I think that team can compete. I think that sounds really good. Um, but I don't know. The bench would be what. Would, that's what word means. Like, how much are you getting rid of to bring this one player in? And are you putting yourself in a situation where now you're really thin and you don't have the bench that you once had? And really, over the last couple of years, that's been one of the biggest things about the Jazz is they've been like ten men deep, and they're really they're a really deep team. And we'd be sacrificing that in order to bring a player like that in. Yep, and you'd have to make sure, you know, if you're making that kind of sacrifice that you you feel real confident, as you said, that you can still get past the likes of the Rockets and the Warriors, because if not, it's probably not worth it to mortgage your future or mortgage your depth for that. Um, last thing, just real quick, John, I want to touch on with Paul George, kind of an interesting wrinkle. Um, I was reading on Twitter uh, from Bill Ingram, who's a NBA analyst, and he kind of mentioned something that I hadn't thought of. He was saying that, you know, between Donovan Mitchell's recruiting and um, David Morway, who is now um, in the Jazz front office, he was saying, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz 
landed PG-13. Now, I would be surprised, so I don't quite agree with him there. But that is interesting that, you know, so David Morway was in the Indiana front office when the Pacers drafted Paul George, and now Morway is with the Jazz. It's just interesting to think about. Obviously, I, I have no idea what their relationship is like, but that's just an extra connection, an extra wrinkle, and the fact that Bill Ingram said that he wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to land him. Just something to keep our eyes on that I thought was kind of appealing that our listeners might find somewhat intriguing. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. I, like, like I said, I think the biggest thing is with connections like that and with Donovan Mitchell, it wouldn't surprise me if at the very least, if he, if he opts out of his last year and becomes a free agent, it wouldn't surprise me if the Jazz at least get him a meeting. Yep. I'm not saying he would sign, but it wouldn't surprise me if they at least got a meeting with Paul George. And even that would be... I mean, that would be monumental for this Jazz organization who has never really had big-name free agents coming and visiting them. So it's exciting. It'll be cool to see what happens. If, if it happens, I'm extremely excited about next year, and I think that they're going to be pushing the Rockets and the Warriors. If it doesn't happen, I'm still excited about next year, and I still think we're the third-best team in the West. So there's a lot to be excited about right now for a Jazz fan. Right on. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if we don't get a big-time free agent this summer, which never really was the plan, I feel like the plan has always been kind of, you know, let's make that big splash in 2019. That's kind of the flexibility we're building towards. So even if we don't make a huge splash this summer, just by staying the course and just by, you know, adding someone cool in the draft, adding some maybe kind of low-key free agent signings or maybe kind of a minor trade, we're going to be really good and really fun next year either way. So going to be exciting. I know you're a huge fan of the offseason. I am too, minus the fact that I miss my games in the evenings, obviously. Uh, but it's going to be exciting to see what comes next. So anyway, I think that that's going to about wrap it up for us, John. Uh, thanks again for joining the show. It's been a ton of fun doing these with you. Yeah, it's been really fun. I enjoy it. I think next week, planning on the draft, is that going to be the main topic next week? Yeah, yeah. Next week, talk about the draft. Also wanted to remind our listeners that we are collecting questions on Twitter. Um, we had a couple this past week, but we decided to leave the window open a little bit longer. Um, so if anybody wants to get us uh, get us some extra questions, you know, specifically about the draft, we'd love to cover them because that's going to be our big topic of next week's show. So make sure you hit us up with questions on at 3P Threat Podcast or at the J Notes as well. So perfect. With that all being said, um, thanks guys for tuning in and we'll plan to chat NBA draft with you guys next week.